What's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And at Liquid, we are at one church in many locations. So will you join me in welcoming our campuses watching all over New Jersey and those watching online? What's up, guys? So great to have you here. As we are in the midst of wrapping up our series, Speak Life, and we've been talking about how the right words at the right time can have a powerful life-changing impact in our lives as well as the lives of those closest to us. Our words can bring hope and healing, or they can bring harm and they can bring pain. In fact, last week uh, we did a message called Spoken Blessing and the power of the spoken blessing. We talked about the Hebrew word barak, which means to bless. And um, this is a really powerful thing that can actually be life-changing. In fact, uh, I got a text the other day from someone who's sharing this on her, or, or from a mom sharing this with me. She goes, my daughter sent me this. She says, it says, Barack, you're an amazing mom. Love, Elle. And then she's like, oh, I love that. And then she's, who's Barack? And then the daughter's like, well, it means spoken blessing. You would have known if you had watched the message. <laughs> so it's great to have our kids, you know, call us out on things. But listen, if you ever miss anything, we're, on, we're there for church online. So, you know, we don't want to guilt you, you know. Um, Faith's a journey, not a guilt trip. So, you know, so, you know, we're kind of talking about the power of spoken blessing, and really this whole series is really grounded on this one verse we've been looking at. We've been looking at it every week. It's Proverbs 18, verse 21. In fact, it says this. I know many of you have memorized this already. Let's all say this together as a church. It says, the tongue, if we have, there it goes, the tongue has the power of life and death. And really, I've been kind of looking at the messages translation of this, which has really been very, very, um, really piercing, which is, it says this. It says, words kill, words give life. It's either poison or fruit. You choose. So the power of our words and how we use them and the words that we choose are really up to us. The words that we use can really be a blessing to people or they can be a curse to them. With our words, we can make people better or we can make people bitter. In fact, we can sow the seeds of bitterness in people's lives and we have words to start with this phrase, I have a complaint. Anyone ever have a complaint? Anyone? I mean, we're, we're in New Jersey, right? We have a couple complaints every now and again, right? But, you know, the thing is, you know, someone once told me this. He's like, you know, Nathan, complaining is like bad breath. You can smell it when it comes out of someone else's mouth, but not when it comes out of your own. Right? You know, there's some truth to that. I actually went on Facebook and asked, what are some of the things that you complain about? And none of y'all were shy. You uh, had a couple things that you were kind of sharing first. One of my friends said this, my complaints are largely circumstantial, things surrounding scarcity, money, time, relationships. Also, if I'm feeling disrespected by someone, I could complain about that. And, you know, one of the themes on this thread was this, traffic. Anyone ever complain about traffic in New Jersey? Doesn't matter if it's 287, 22, the turnpike or the parkway. Everyone has something to say about traffic. And this other one came in about robocalls on your cell phone. Anyone get annoyed by that? Whoa, yeah. There was a time I remember where you got a cell phone just so you could evolve, you know, avoid telemarketers and all that stuff. Now it's like they just know where you are. And um, this next one I actually found on Twitter. This is pretty funny. Uh, my Brita filtered water doesn't taste Brita filtered once my tap water ice cubes melt. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's that metal piece. You know, it tastes like metal again, right? Um, but this one's my favorite by far. It's, ugh, my iPhone face recognition won't work when I'm wearing my Ray-Bans. I'm like, first world problems. Take off your glasses, bro. Uh, you know, and I know for some of you, maybe you came in today and there was a complaint that was forming in your heart, which is, it's Nithin again? Really? Like, like, listen, listen. 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But listen, Pastor Tim will be back next week kicking off at the movies. In the meantime, I've taken over his office, squatter's rights. You can tell him that. But you know, listen, you know, when we actually think about our complaints, a lot of times what we realize is some of our complaints really don't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, this happened a couple weeks ago um, when our family decided to go see the Aladdin movie. How many of you guys have seen the new Aladdin movie, right? It's pretty good, pretty good. I'll be honest, it was a three-to-one vote against me. I, I, had, I had no desire to see this movie. And here's the reason. I am an Aladdin purist, okay? There is only one genie, and that genie is Robin Williams. Amen? Come on now, make some noise. The idea that there is a CGI blue Will Smith is, is a little creepy to me. I don't, want my, I don't want my genie getting jiggy with it, if you know what I mean, right? Like, I just want my, you know, I, I just want my, you know, my, my normal way of doing it. And so I am complaining about this. Like, you know, as we're driving the movie, I'm like complaining, Disney's ruining my childhood. You know, like these movies that were cartoons should stay that way. And I'm complaining about that. And then finally, we get to the movie theater. And so we're at the movie theater and we're hanging out there. And now I get out of the car and I'm like, ugh. I gotta pay for the movie tickets. I gotta pay for the popcorn. I gotta pay for the soda. I gotta pay for all that stuff. And by the time I tally all that together, it's like a mortgage payment just to go to the movies, right? And so I'm complaining about that. And as that's going on, like we, we meet up with my in-laws over there. And uh, I'm just kind of a little bit like, um, you know, actually my mother-in-law goes up to me and goes, hey, listen, you know, we just uh, are so excited you guys are coming to the movies with us that uh, we really actually want to cover your, your movie tickets. So don't worry about your tickets. In fact, we're going to take care of even the candy. We actually stopped at Target. We got some candy. So all you need to cover is popcorn. Now, my mother-in-law, she's amazing. She is very gracious and she's very generous. And at this offer, how do you think your pastor, a spiritual leader, responded? This was my response. Uh, I have a complaint. Um, I don't like popcorn, and I really like Reese's Pieces. You did not get Reese's Pieces. So now, I, you know, and I'm literally going off, and, and my mother-in-law is super gracious. She's like, oh, okay, well, maybe you can buy those too. And so, you know, <laughs> we're walking into the theater, and then my wife looks at me and goes, um, I have a complaint now. And I go, well, what's going on? And so, well, listen, like, we got to this movie, and my parents are graciously paying for our tickets, and they brought candy, and all you're doing is complaining about it. I mean, it shows such a lack of gratitude. And, and my wife was right, as she normally always is. And guys, here's a confession. Your pastor, he can be a jerk sometimes, probably more than sometimes. But, and so, you know, I go to my mother-in-law, and I apologize. Like, I'm so, so sorry. And one of the things that I, I just realized is in that moment, I had lost sight of God's graciousness and his goodness to us. And instead, I got focused on my own kind of selfishness and my own kind of, my little pity party because I wasn't getting things the way I wanted and isn't that kind of true when we really are complaining about it? Like, think about the things that we claim but complain. Maybe you're like, oh man, I'm complaining about my boss right now. My boss is the worst. You know, his expectations are, are over the top. Or you know what? The weather. It's too hot. It's too rainy. Like, I, I, I just can't stand the weather. Or the Wi-Fi. Oh, the Wi-Fi. It's too slow. I can't ever get on it. I'm eating all this data. Or if it's not the Wi-Fi, it's, there's nothing to watch on Netflix. There's nothing on Amazon Prime. There's nothing on Hulu. But if you actually pause and rewind a little bit and you actually take apart your complaints, you find something interesting. It's really not about your boss. It's really not about the weather. It's really not about your Wi-Fi. 
It's not even about your inability to find original content on streaming television. You know what it's about? It's that your eyes have been taken off of the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God's goodness in our lives. We've believed the lie that says God is not good. And instead, we have focused it on the small and the unimportant. We have focused more on the temporal things and not on the eternal things. And when that happens, it actually reveals an attitude of our hearts. Because really, the words that come out of our mouths, we looked at this the first week, really reveal what's going on in our heart. I love how Jesus puts it. Jesus says it this way. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You want to know how your heart's doing? Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Or better yet, ask a spouse or someone close to you the words that are coming out of your mouth. See, there's a spiritual dimension to complaining because what it shows is that we really don't trust God. We don't trust in his goodness. We don't trust that he has our best in in mind. But there's not just a spiritual dimension. There's also a physiological dimension in our complaining. Did you know that when you complain, it literally rewires your brain? When you complain, it actually creates neural pathways where it makes it easier to complain. It makes it easier to get negative. It makes it easier to complain more and more and more. In fact, um, science writer Travis Bradbury, he says this, research from Stanford University shows that complaining shrinks the hippocampus, an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. Let's pause at that for a moment. When we complain, when we kind of start talking about all the things that aren't going right, there's a corrosive element to it. It literally damages your brain, and it creates this cyclical loop that many of us can't get out of. I mean, this is what was happening in the movie. I was complaining about Disney destroying my childhood, and I was complaining about that. When I got to the movie theater, even though everything was being taken care of, I was looking at it negatively. I had a bad attitude the whole time, and it made me complain even more. It becomes this cycle. Complaining not only can shrink our brains, but it also becomes an obstacle to actually receiving God's goodness in our lives. So when we have a complaint, how do we change it from being destructive, but actually maybe find something positive out of it and actually maybe reverse it? Well, it all comes down to two simple words. Thank you. Say thank you with me, church. You're welcome. But gratitude, developing an attitude of gratitude can actually have a lot of power in terms of how we can begin to maybe see things differently, actually dealing with the complaints in our lives. In fact, I love how the Apostle Paul, out of anyone in Scripture, this is the guy that had the right to complain. He could have had some really severe complaints about his life. In fact, if you go ahead and look at this snapshot in 2 Corinthians, you see a little bit about what's going on in Paul's life. He says five times, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So think about this. Paul was whipped. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with stones. He was shipwrecked not once. You think after one shipwreck, you'd be done with the ocean. He was shipwrecked three times. And you would think this guy is going to have some major complaints. He's going to have some major issues. He's going to have, he's probably going to be a pretty dark guy. But I want you to see Paul's attitude when he handles the things and the difficulties of this life. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. So Paul is like, listen, I'm going through a lot, but it's for the sake of the gospel. And if you want to know what God's will is, here's what it is. It's rejoice, it's pray, and it's to give thanks. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to a young adult, and they're like, you know, Nathan, what's God's will for my life? Like, what is it that God wants me to do? And a lot of times I can redirect them back to this verse. You see, God cares more about who you're becoming rather than what you're doing. The career stuff, the relationship stuff, that'll get worked out. But if you can develop these disciplines of rejoicing, of praying, and of thankfulness, it is going to set you up to become the kind of person that's going to know and receive and experience God's will on a regular basis. In fact, that's what Paul is trying to get at. If you can learn to cultivate gratitude, you are going to become the type of person who can handle life's situations, the difficulties. It will develop a resilience in you. And it's not just the scriptures that back this up. In fact, I love it when science actually catches up with this. There was a study that came out at Duke University that says, if you can develop the discipline to think about, at the end of the day, three things that you're grateful for, three things that that you are just thankful about, like it actually has an impact on your life. In fact, the guy that came up with this, Dr. Martin Seligman, said that during a one-week intervention, for one week they had his patients basically document the three things that they're thankful for for seven days. And after those seven days, what they found was that there was improvement to happiness, and there was also an improvement in depression. And this lasted for six months. It was able to make people more resilient to what was going on in life. Again, I love it when science catches up with Scripture. So what does it look like for you and I to cultivate gratitude in our lives? By doing so, we actually cut down on the complaining because we can actually see things from a different angle. Well, I want to look at three changes. Some of them are small, some of them are big, that we can make if we want to cultivate gratitude in our lives. And the first is this, is you need to change what you worship. You need to change what you worship. Now, when I say worship, what I'm talking about is what you put your focus on. Uh, literally what we worship is where we get our values, we get our hopes, our dreams. All of those things flow from the subject or the object of what we worship. And if you're a Christian or a Christ follower, Jesus is the object of our worship. Amen? God revealed himself through Jesus, so we know what God is like when we look at Jesus. So Jesus is the focus of our worship. But the problem is, is that our focus sometimes drifts. Amen? One time we're looking at God, we know he's good, and we know he loves us, but then all of a sudden something happens in our life, uh, there's a bump on the road, and all of a sudden our eyes are redirected, and all of a sudden we are doubting God's goodness and God's faithfulness, and that's when we start to complain. In fact, this is the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. There was a time in their history where they were complaining about God, they had all these problems with with what God was doing, so they actually abandoned God. And in the midst of this, God raised up a prophet, which was really a a man or a woman that was speaking the words of God, a mouthpiece for God. And it was a young man named Isaiah. And in the midst of this, Isaiah is reflecting on how God called him and and brought him into this, this station as a prophet. So it says this in Isaiah 6. It says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. So check this out. Here's what Isaiah is describing. He is describing a lit worship service. Like, it is good. Like, the music is great. The music is so good. The angels even showed up, and they're singing holy, holy, holy on backup vocals. Like, the walls are shaking. The ground is quaking. Like, the fog machine is moving, and like, God is there, and it is awesome. 
And as that's going on, Isaiah gets an encounter with the living God, which has him responding in this way. He says, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, which means I've been complaining. And I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. So Isaiah's been saying this. Hey, listen, I've been living by complaining. All of my life, I've been critical, and I've been cynical, and I've been complaining about everything around me. But I just had this encounter with the God of the universe. I just had this encounter with the God of heaven's armies, and now I am grateful. And I say, thank you, God, for your goodness and for your holiness and for your power. And then God does something interesting. You see, in that moment, God is changing Isaiah's heart. And by doing so, he has an angel go to the altar and pick up a hot coal. And it says, he touched my lips with it. And see, and God said, see that this coal touched your lips? Now your guilt is removed. And your sins are, what's that word, church? Forgiven. So in this encounter, Isaiah experiences the forgiveness of God, has his guilt erased. In the same way, you and I need to be touched by the coal of God's grace on our lips. And he forgives us, and he gives us grace, and he gives us mercy, and he gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, as many chances as we need in the moment, because that's what our God does, amen? He's a God of forgiveness and a God of grace, and he wants us to experience it and to live that out. But I want you to notice Isaiah's posture before God. It says, I see the Lord seated on the throne. See, when we complain, in many ways, it's a worship problem, not necessarily a situational or a circumstantial problem. Because when we're complaining, we're looking at ourselves, we're looking at our situation, we're looking down, but God says, when you look up, I give you a new perspective. When you look up at me, it's a new filter on how you filter reality. So when you look up to God, that coworker who it seems you're always covering for, who's always messing up, who you're getting annoyed, and so you're complaining about to other people, it's an opportunity for you to share God's love with them, to see them in new, with new eyes. Your roommate or your spouse who you're always annoyed with, who you're always complaining because maybe they never put the dishes from the sink into the dishwasher, and it's causing you to sin in ways that you can't even explain. <laughs> but it's an opportunity, when you start to look to God as, for worship, it becomes an opportunity for you to realize, God's teaching me patience. God's gonna give me an opportunity maybe to speak honestly, and he's teaching me how to build some of those skills so when the time comes, uh, if I get married or move on, I know how to speak to people. Or when we complain to people about politics about how we don't like this politician, they're sowing division into our country, into our lives, that it gives us to a place where we say, all right, God, I know that you're the one who's in control ultimately. So I'm gonna pray for my leaders, whether I agree with them or not. Not only am I gonna pray for them, I'm gonna work for the good uh, 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 of society in the midst of it all. You see, when we start to keep our eyes up to God and look to him, it changes how we complain and how we see all the things around us. But let's be real here. It's, we complain. It still happens. It's a natural part. Are we just supposed to, as Christians, you know, shove down any negative feelings, you know, pretend it's not there, you know, everything's awesome, right? Are we just supposed to ignore it? Are we supposed to lie? Like, what are we really supposed to do with this stuff that's there? Well, God knows that it's real, and we should acknowledge that it's real. And when we experience those things, we need to do what King David did. King David was known as a man after God's own heart, and this is what King David says. He says, I pour out before him my, what's that word, church? Complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. Sometimes before you can get your praise up, you got to get your complaint out. Amen? 
You need to actually go to God and say, God, I got a complaint. God, I got something I need to talk through with you. I got something I need to wrestle with. I need to process this with you, God. And you need to take your complaints to Jesus. You need to take your, your struggles and your problems to him first and foremost before you say it to anybody else. Because something happens in there is when you start out with complaining, it'll eventually end in worship and looking to God. You know, when I was um, single, one of the struggles in my life uh, was just loneliness. I was struggling with loneliness and really like wondering, you know, where is God in the midst of this and what's he doing here? And one of the things I would do is I'd get out my journal and I would just start journaling. I'll just write out my complaints and say, God, this stinks. Like, my friends are all getting married and they're all moving on and now they're having kids and it seems like you've forgotten about me. Like, what's the deal with this? And as I'm writing all this and I'm putting this complaint on the pages, there's a shift that needed to be made. And the shift kind of came about as I was sharing this with the Lord, which was this I needed to surrender. And so I said, All right, God, I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to uh, lift this up to you, God. Say, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to choose to trust you no matter what my situation says. No matter how I feel in the circumstances, I choose to trust you. You see, when we choose to trust God in the midst of this, what happens is that it weakens our complaints. That's what worship does. It weakens the power of those complaints in our lives. They don't seem as big. They don't seem as overwhelming because really we put them in the proper perspective. You see, again, it's a worship problem. What are we putting our focus on in the midst of it all? So sometimes we need to change what we worship. But I know some of you are thinking this. Well, you know what, though, Pastor Nathan? Like, there's some real issues, though, that need to actually get addressed. They actually need to change. Like, what do I do with that? Well, in the midst of that, that's when you need to change your situation. You actually need to maybe change the way things are going on. In fact, that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia, which meant that he was kind of like the food tester. He made sure the food wasn't poisoned and there weren't any problems with that. And so Nehemiah, though, was from Israel, and he had found out that the nation of Israel had just been crushed by the Persian army. Imagine that was you. You just found out that your hometown was just bulldozed over. What would you say? What would you do? I mean, Nehemiah could have been complaining about his boss. Man, my boss, the Persian king, he just crushed my hometown. Or, you know, the Persian army, like, they're the worst. They think they can do whatever they want to whoever they want. They can knock down nations. Like, that's messed up. He could even complain about his job. Now I got to work for this guy, this guy that's destroying everything around me. Like, this is the worst situation ever. And maybe there were points where Nehemiah thought those thoughts and he said those things out loud, but notice that it didn't stay there. He actually took responsibility over it. It says this, he says, actually went to the king, he says this, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors were buried. Notice he didn't stop with the complaining. He actually went and did something about it. He, he, he took ownership. He took responsibility. He said, I'm going to take ownership of my complaints and actually turn it into action and actually change the way things are going. You see, and that's the thing about complaints that can be damaging. We think once we complain about something, it's actually going to change. If we complain about our spouse, that'll make them change. If we complain about our boss, that'll make them change. When the reality is, sometimes the complaint actually brings up what the issue is. You know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, this is the issue I have. But now God's saying, all right, now that you know what the issue is, do something about it. In fact, that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago when Pastor Tim and Pastor Kyra, you know, did that message, I said this, and you heard that, based on the book. 
And this was a great message because it really kind of helped us think through the, our, the four temperaments, right? There are these four different temperaments that we all have that basically color how we use language and when we use our language. For instance, um, I'm a yellow, and so I speak the language of people and fun. Any yellows in the room? All right, you guys are having a good time, right? The yellows really aren't awake yet. We're night people. Right? Right? So now my wife, she is a green. So she speaks the language of calm and harmony. And so when we first got married, there was a little bit of tension in this. So like, for instance, like around birthdays. Like, so for my wife, as a green, she wants to make sure that if you come over, everyone's comfortable, right? And so she's like, hey, for my birthday, can we have maybe two, maybe three couples? You know, I want to make sure that we have enough food and everyone's comfortable. We can just come, we can hang out and talk. And so as a yellow, I'm thinking for a party, it's like, no, no, like everyone can come. Like, guys, in my birthday, all of you are invited. So all of the campuses, like, you know, Middlesex, Garwood, Mountainside, you're all invited. You guys can all come over, okay? Now, we may run out of food, and, you know, it doesn't matter if the house is clean or not, but, you know, come on over. It's like, that's like how I'm thinking. It's like, ah, we'll work it out. We can do a White Castle run or something. So, you know, my, you know, so my wife's like, hey, can, you, can we do like a little gathering? And I'm like, let's have everybody come. And so we have all these people coming. And, and she's like, like, who's that guy? I go, I don't know. He was at our stoop. So I said, you should just come on in, you know. So, you know, we're having all this party. And she's like, well, it was nice, but it wasn't what I, I wanted. And I go, what do you mean it wasn't what you wanted? Like, it was fun. It was great. It was loud. It was crazy. And so all of a sudden now we're having this argument. Now we're complaining. And the root of this issue was my own pride. Because I didn't really care about what my wife wanted. This is what I wanted. And because of that, it kind of led to this conflict where I actually had to have a heart change and say, all right, when my wife says this, I have to hear what she says. And then I got to take ownership of that and say, okay, I want everyone coming over. She's only going to want a couple people over. And that's okay. And I can celebrate that because I have to change that situation. In fact, maybe for you, it's not in relationships. Maybe it's more of like a, a work issue, right? Like maybe you're, 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 you're in a job and you're like, do I need to switch up my job? And, you know, this happened to a friend of mine. He was really miserable at his job. He worked at this uh, battery dealership, and he was killing it. He was doing an incredible job. He loved his work. But what he said was, you know, Nathan, I, I like what I do. Um, there's times I love it, but the stuff that I love is all the people stuff. Like, I, you know, I'm at my job, and I have this opportunity to minister to people and, you know, speak life to people. I don't get to do that a lot in my job, and I wish that I could just maybe do something else. And so, you know, we're talking about it, and, and he is, like, always kind of—this is always coming up in conversations. And, you know, he's at work. He's actually telling this to some of his coworkers. I like what I do, but I really wish I could do something more like the nonprofit sector. And so finally, what his coworker said to him, dude, you either need to stop talking about it or you need to do it. Like, you need to, you know, because you're talking about it all this time, but you need to actually shift gears and you actually maybe need to change your job. And so finally, he took the hand. He's like, you know what? I need to do it. So it was a radical shift for him because it meant he was going to have to take a, a decrease in salary. But what he says now is, you know, I feel more fulfilled now than I've ever had in my entire life because I get to help people. I get to be around people and, and really speak life to them and, and try to help them meet their needs now more than I did in my other job. For some of you, you've got to change your situation. You've got to walk through it differently. But I know some of you are thinking, well, Nathan, I, I can't just leave my job. Like, my job pays health insurance for our whole family. But there's other situations that we can't always change. You know, maybe some of you, you have a child with special needs, and you're like, Nathan, that's not changing. That's how it's always going to be. Or maybe you're on disability. You've been on disability for several years, and you can't change your situation. And if you can't change your situation, 
The scriptures teach us that we may need to change our perspective. You might need to change the way you see the world. So if you're in a circumstance, you might need to change the way you see the circumstance, the way you walk through that issue, the way you kind of uh, are seeing things. In fact, a great example of this, again, is the Apostle Paul. Paul, who would go around and preach the gospel wherever he went, he started all of the young churches early on in the history of Christianity. Well, one day he gets locked up. The authorities catch him. And now, instead of this guy who's able to free and roam the world preaching the gospel, now he's stuck in a jail cell. In fact, he's under high surveillance, which means at that time he was handcuffed to a jailer. And that basically that was his reality. He was handcuffed to this prison guard. Now, if that was you or me, we would basically go into a fetal position because we're done. Like, what's there left to do? I want you to read and see how Paul responded to this. Check this out. It says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to, what's that church? advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for who? For Christ. So Paul's like, guys, 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 this is awesome. Like, I literally now have a captive audience when I preach. No one's going anywhere. Like, literally, this dude's handcuffed to me, and I preach at him in the morning, and then I preach at him during lunch shop. I got to go to the bathroom, and I'm still preaching at him in the bathroom. This is amazing. And then you know what happens? Then they give me a new guy and I preach at him the same way. And now everyone knows about Jesus and I'm praying for the guards and they're hearing the gospel and they're responding to it. This was a dark, dark situation. I don't want to make light of what Paul was going through. I know for many of us, we're going through some dark situations. But God is with you in the midst of the chaos, amen? God's at work in the midst of the pain. God is at work in the confusion. And part of what we're doing is we're waiting to see what God is doing And there's a sense where we need to walk in trust and faith, saying, God, I don't get what you're doing right now, but I'm going to choose to trust that you are working this out for your good, for the good of God's kingdom. And I had a small reminder of this this past week. Uh, Maybe you guys remember on, uh, you know, last week it was super hot towards the end of the week. Like it was like in the 90s, you know, everything was melting. And then that Monday night we had this amazing rainstorm. It just kind of came down and really, really hard. And it was like, oh, finally relief from the hot, hot sun. Well, then I went down to my basement to get, get something, and all of a sudden I hear a splash, splash. And my basement has got four inches of water all on the floor. And I'm like, no. And so, like, I'm running to the garage. I'm getting the shop back. I'm trying to shop, you know, vac- you know, vacuum it all up, but it's not working. There's just so much water there. In fact, my sump pump is what broke. And so I had to wait, like, overnight because I called the plumber. The plumber's not going to come till the morning. And guys, I was, like, fuming. I'm like, I don't have time to deal with my basement right now. Like, this is so annoying. We just bought this house, and now all this stuff that we had in there, like, it's all messed up, and now I got to take it out. And, you know, I'm literally going through all the litany of things that was just really, like, bothering me. And then I I thought of Paul. I'm thinking, you know, Paul, Paul was shipwrecked a couple times, wasn't he? Now, my basement wasn't a shipwreck situation, but there's water, it's kind of, kind of similar. Water on the deck, water on the basement. And so I just said, all right, God, I'm going to try this. And so I said, you know, God, I'm, I'm thankful that we own a house. It's something we didn't think we were able to do, and, you know, we can do that. I'm thankful that this happened in the summertime and not the wintertime. That would have been miserable, and that the sun is shining so we can dry everything out. And you know what, God, I know that we meant to clean out our basement. That's probably a little sooner than we were hoping. So I'm thankful that we need to do that. And And so as I started to kind of think through all these different things, I started to be a reminder that, you know what? God is still good 
even when everything else is not. God is still for you when the world seems like it's against you. Amen? And we need to embrace that truth in that situation. We need to embrace gratitude when we want to really grab on to complaint. In fact, that's why we celebrate communion. You know, the Greek word for communion actually means thanksgiving. So when we come together, as we are in a little bit, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we need to remember that no matter what's going on in our lives, there's one thing that's a constant. And that constant is this, is that God is with you. Jesus is with you. And so as we celebrate communion, as the church has done for thousands of years, it's a reminder that God is with us, even when it feels like he's not. That God is for us, even when it seems like the world's against us. And that when all of our basements are flooding, or our health is falling apart, or our relationships aren't making sense, that our God is the one who is constantly there with us. In fact, he, he proved that love to us when he came and died for us on the cross. On the cross, he forgave our sins. He wiped away our guilt. He gave us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, however many chances you need so that we could have a right relationship with God. And it begins by realigning our hearts. Maybe for some of you, you're here this week and you're like, you know, Nathan, I remember the words that I've said that have come out of my mouth and I need to realign my heart back to God's heart. I need to shift from complaining to cultivating gratitude. And so that's what we do with communion. It's almost a sense of realignment. It's a heart realignment. Because when our heart's realigned, our mouth gets realigned. So in a moment, I'm going to invite our, your campus leaders to come up, and they're going to lead you into a time of communion. But before they do that, I want to pray for us, that we would have our hearts aligned with our King. So Father, I come before you, Lord, and I just pray a prayer of repentance. God, just like Isaiah said, like, you know, Lord, I have filthy lips. We have a people of unclean lips, filthy lips. And so, God, we just say, apart from the coal of grace that you light on our lips, we cannot find hope or healing. So would you come right now, and as we worship you, realign our hearts. And as our hearts are realigned, God, as we take the elements Help us to remember what you've done for us on the cross. And you redeemed our hearts, our minds, our souls, and you even redeemed our lips. Enable us and empower us to speak life in Jesus' name.